This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Ishmael Darrow. Jesse. Social news editor at BuzzFeed Canada. That's me. Welcome to Shortcuts. Thanks, Jesse. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Chris Constantin, Barry Beaulieu, Andrea Pilati, Marcus Williams, Sebastian Hutchings, Alexandre Jeannot, Vanessa Turpin, Devin Monroe, and Kofi Garbra. Kofi, why did you decide to be awesome? Catalan is something that I think is important. It's independent media, and if, if people don't support it, it could disappear. So... That's why I support Canada Land. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. Ishmael, before before BuzzFeed, did you freelance? No, and honestly, one of the biggest reasons is because I just suck at invoicing. I didn't even know what invoices were supposed to look like. Right, so you just did not freelance for that reason. Well, I mean, like, I'd send a Word document or a PDF and just hope that they wouldn't make fun of me and send it back. You could have been in the lucrative world of journalism freelancing had, had you only known about FreshBooks. I know, I, I missed the boat. Cloud accounting, painless billing... When you use FreshBooks, it is a lot easier to be a freelancer. It's a lot easier to run a small business because FreshBooks makes it very simple to track your expenses, to track your time, to file invoices, makes you look professional, gets you paid quicker, makes the whole business of doing this easier. Saves me time every week. Do it before the year is up so that your entire 2016 income thing, there's probably a professional word for this that accountants use. I have no idea. Okay. One of those income things that you're doing will all be on under FreshBooks if you if you go there now and check it out. Because you get 30 days for free. When you do decide to become a customer at FreshBooks.com, tell them that Canada Land sent you. You will be doing the show a favor. FreshBooks.com. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Vice is trying to unionize. That's exciting. And it's your roommate. Yeah. I mean, full disclosure... My roommate uh, was one of the main organizers of the union drive. So, you know, there's that. But full disclosure, your roommate, who's one of the main forces behind the vice union drive, used to work at Canada Land. That's right. Yeah. So that's just how disgusting everything is. Everybody listening right now just turned off because, you know, media party. <laughs> vice is OK. So among the staff members, key concerns listed on the Canadian Media Guild website, they're fighting for higher wages advice, higher starting salaries. Benefits for contract workers, better benefits for all staff, protection for contract workers, protection against termination without cause, and the introduction of clear journalistic standards. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to make of that uh, from the outside, but it does seem like, you know, Vice has grown really, really quickly in Canada. And by the outside, you mean (laughs) your your apartment where you live with the person who's doing it. Well, no, I mean, even at... I have other friends who work there, and I've had friends who've dealt with Vice. And, you know, I freelanced for them for a bit, Yeah. Um, you know, like twice. And then I decided that I couldn't invoice them very effectively. Um, but, no, Vice has grown really, really quickly. It totally makes sense that people are just kind of wondering, you know, what the focus is, what the standards are. Uh, so it makes total sense to me that they're looking at, like, a way of collective action right now. Yeah. And, you know, we, we – wrote about them recently and interviewed them recently. And, you know, we heard stories about there, there were terminations without cause that we heard about. What, you know, that, at least the people who got terminated said that that was the case. Uh, the journalistic standards thing came up in, in our coverage of them. The interesting stuff here to me is uh, protection for contract workers and benefits for contract workers. I think that most of their employees are contract workers. I think especially on the video side, that's not uncommon sort of. Which is where like all the hiring is most of the hiring. Right. Like they, 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 there's like 100 people working on that stuff. So... It's an interesting one. In the TV industry in Canada, unionization of contract workers, the CMG, I, I don't want to, I have a difficult relationship with these media unions because I was a CMG member as a CBC employee and I'm totally pro-union in theory and I think that people always get a better deal when they, when they bargain collectively. I never felt represented by that union. As a freelancer, as a contractor, I always had the sense, and I, I my first day of work at CBC was when when the lockout happened. I showed up to work and people were outside the building. I always felt that freelancers and contractors' benefits and rights were being bargained away to protect 
the very lofty, like the people who had staff jobs had it really good in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's not uncommon. You know, anybody that you know uh, who works at the CBC who's younger than, you know, let's say 35 or so, they they have some similar complaints and they feel like the union is maybe not always looking out for them. Uh, but that does seem like such a CBC specific sort of problem or uh, perception uh, I, I don't know if that would necessarily apply to Vice or other places. Though. I don't know. It's the same union, but maybe it's a different uh, different agreement they would draw up. Interesting that this comes the same week that CHCH, a local news channel in Hamilton, one of the only independently uh, owned, owned by a company called Channel Zero, local news stations in Canada, uh, filed for b- bankruptcy. And then it, it was revealed, no, 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 this is just a restructuring that they say, oh, well, we're, we're just finding we're just going to cut back on our, our, our news coverage and, and uh, you know, we live on. And then this email was leaked from a sales rep at CHCH12 basically saying, oh, don't worry, customer. We're still going to be around. This is just a way of getting rid of the union. And this leaked email was uh, published by the CBC and others that uh, they've since hired back 81 of those laid off CHCH workers. And they just – needed to break the union or or wanted to break the union and get people back on these other terms. Toronto Star hired about 70 people for the Star Touch app, which uh, we could talk about more at some other point in time. It would be fun. Yeah. I mean, let's let's leave them alone for now. (laughs) They've been getting kicked a lot lately. The trend is anti-union in hiring now. It's interesting. Vice sent uh, Ryan Archibald, the managing editor, uh, with an email that got leaked. He told his staff, we don't think you need a union to represent you. Yeah. I mean – I don't know uh, if I can speak to the CBC or CHCH even, but definitely I think in new media there's sometimes this perception that because, you know, things are good right now, if, if you kind of know what you're doing online, that it's fine. You're, you're not assembly line workers. You know, we're all friends here. We're all buds. But the basics of, of like employer-employee relations have not changed. And that seems to be like a really pervasive view, especially among new, new media companies where they're like, oh, we're all buds. It's all good. But, you know – there are there's always stories of people f- who feel like they've gotten screwed over or fired without cause. And it just seems like a really myopic view. Yeah, I think that any kind of new media company tries to take that startup mentality uh, where, I mean, Vice freely says, we're a cult. Drink the Kool-Aid, get in on the ground floor, pay your dues because we're all moving up together and we're on this amazing team. That rhetoric, I mean, like it feels that way here sometimes. It's really like after 15 years working freelance for media companies that have always been like laying off people and contracting, it's fun to be in an optimistic organization where where, as teeny as we are, we're getting bigger. I think that management and workers alike can get swept up in that. And yet, like you say, one thing that collective bargaining presents is like you do have some recourse or someone you can talk to, you you know, because under Canadian labor law, you don't have to have a reason to fire somebody. You can just get rid of them. Like You don't have to tell them anything. Yeah. I mean, basically, you you just want everybody to be playing by the same rules, right? And to everybody know the rule book, which to me is all a union does. I mean, I, a friend of mine who is a union organizer once told me, like, unions suck. Like, nobody likes unions, including union people. But it's a bit like democracy. It's the only system that we have that even moderately protects you. <laughs> I also have a friend who's a union organizer who also tells me all the corrupt interdealings of the unions and has totally soured me on the idea that, like, I mean, you know, they're they're getting it in between the employees. And, like, they're taking a cut, you know, and uh, that comes off the backs of both sides. I don't know. There's, I'm going to get lots of mail on this. But I just feel like Obviously, there needs to be some new kind of union, some new kind of collective bargaining, especially for media employees. And it can't be like the old kind. Like there there, there has to be – I think too much of it has been about 
protecting legacy benefits and rights because unions don't want to give any quarter. They, they fight very hard to get anything for full-time staff employees, and th- those employees don't want to give up a dime. They don't want to give up any benefit, any consideration. So as we kind of figure out this new thing, you guys – like is BuzzFeed U.S. unionized? No, although it's come up, and as you know, there's probably a, there's a trend of uh, places unionizing, including the Guardian U.S. Gawker. It's uh, I, th- I know it's come up at BuzzFeed uh, in the U.S., but it's something that clearly all new media companies have to be like thinking about, especially if they're growing really fast. Yeah, I'm actually this. I haven't actually researched this in preparation for this conversation. I'm just wondering now if all of those unionization attempts from these younger companies in the states, like. Is it different? Are, are, are those uh, collective deals structured differently? Do they reflect the fact that people, the employees themselves, want to move more freely from organization to organization, that contract labor is relied upon, but those people deserve some consideration and benefits as well? Well, I think generally everybody uh, – so the, the sort of bad unions that you described, right, like the ones that really lock in legacy, that make it really hard for you to like move around freely and be flexible, I think everybody's kind of aware of that. So definitely when, when Gawker was talking about unionizing the states – they said, we love working here. We like everything about it, but it, we just want to improve it in small ways. Yeah. And we want to keep all the flexibility. As far as I know, the Vice Canada union document said the same thing. It said, everybody enjoys working here. It's a great work environment. We want to keep all the good stuff. We want to keep all the good shit, but we just don't want to be like, you know, fired without cause or, or not know who we're going to piss off with an article, right? Yeah. My guess is we'll just see how they did it in the States and then we'll just do that. Well, best of luck to them. That's up to you. Katie Jensen, producer of this show, just asked if Canadaland's getting a union. I guess you and Jane can can decide if you want to uh, bargain collectively. But then we have contractors too, so. When it happens, please leak the story to BuzzFeed Canada. <laughs> okay, just today, the Toronto Star announced that they are killing comments entirely. Biggest newspaper in Canada, no more comments at all. Michael Cook announced this, editor-in-chief, and said, 2016 will be the year of the reader. No more comments. Well, Long overdue, but I don't know what that means, that it's the year of the reader. Um, but, you know, before BuzzFeed, I worked at the National Post on the web desk, and I saw those comments, you know, day in, day out, even before they switched to, I think, Facebook-only comments. Yeah. And it was rough. You know, like we – there was like an informal rule that if you were writing or if you were posting an article about indigenous issues, about Muslims, Canadians, you just kind of erred on the side of caution and tended to turn off the comments preemptively because you just know the internet's awful. And, you know, they've dealt with the same thing at the CBC with indigenous articles. It's, it's high time that we abandon comments. If you're not going to regulate them and moderate them, just give them up. I'm so glad that we're going to disagree about something today. Any way you slice it and any way you want to deride comments, it's the cesspool of the internet and it's a forum for hate and there's legal concern. Whatever you want to say about them, it is an avenue of accountability for newspapers. And if you remove them, there's just one less place where the papers are accountable to the public. How is that a good thing? I mean, w- when you write content, do you not read the comments? No, for sure I do. But I also read it on my Twitter feed and I get emails about it. There's still ways that people can reach out to you. But I actually think what's more vital is that we have other media outlets sort of keeping each other in check too. You know, it's, it's always valuable for readers to say like, hey, you really you know, messed this up or did you consider this? But There's also a real uh, unwillingness for especially Canadian media to call each other out when we say, you know, this was this was badly done or did you consider this or this is what the Toronto Star's coverage was lacking. A phenomenon I am somewhat uh, familiar with. Yes, of of course. And uh, it's something that we're seeing more of in Canada, but still not enough. So I think maybe 
comments can help in that regard, but people still have a lot of avenues to get to you. I'm not really bashing the Toronto Star here, is because I mean, I mean, and again, uh, as I said before, we don't have comments on Canada Land's website, and that is mostly a resource question because we don't have the same protections for publishers in Canada that they do in the states when it comes to publishing comments. We are more liable, responsible for what our commenters say than what they are in the states. So I just fear that we're becoming some weird island of that's not happening in the states. Like I, I, I don't know any big sites that are turning off comments in the states, unless I'm. Uh, Sadly ignorant of the I, – I haven't noticed that trend at all. That's like yeah, a Canadian thing that's It happening. does seem to be more of a Canadian thing. So Canada's just going to be the country where comments are off. That that's, doesn't seem good to me. Okay, but I'm also a masochist and I do spend a lot of time reading comments when they're there because you kind of want to just see how people are reacting. And I guess I should note that on BuzzFeed we do have comments. We have you know Facebook comments and native comments. But it's always striking sometimes when something can be controversial, you'll see the comments under the article will be generally quite negative or they can be. And then when you look at how people are sharing it on their Facebook pages, it's always – it tends to be more positive. Yeah. So there's also just uh, a question of who you're drawing to the comments section and whether those contributions are A, representative of the larger public or B, valuable. So don't we just fix comments then? I mean first of all, from a journalistic standpoint, not to get back to like some circa 2002 rhetoric, but that is – a way to get better journalism from your readers. There's always an expert in the comments who has links or is correcting something in the story. It's just buried amongst all kinds of bullshit from weird bigots and people fighting with each other about completely unrelated things. So I, I know that there have been various attempts to do reputation systems, upvoting, downvoting, but something where it is integrated. I mean, I almost feel like Wikipedia had the best way of integrating, you know, crowdsourcing articles, basically. And I, is that like an abandoned plank in, in journalism? Like we don't care anymore to try to fix that, to try to fix comments and integrate them back into the article itself? I mean, I'm kind of nostalgic for that older way of looking at comments, too. But until you have writers taking ownership of their own comments, that's just not going to happen, right? If you tell somebody, look, you wrote this column, spend an hour, you know, the next day looking over and engaging with people. And if something's really bad, you remove it. That is what makes it better is when the writer not only does that, but gets in there and says, hey, I'm sorry you're so upset about my article. But, but I, I think you're jumping to some con conclusions. Nobody from that company made me write this. This is why this is there that way. And everybody suddenly gets civilized because people speak very loudly when they feel like they're not being listened to. But – that's like the last thing that journalists are able to do these days. That's true. Yeah. It's a resource question. But also, you know, some of that circa 2002 rhetoric was about engagement. But it wasn't you engaging with the troll next to you and you just having a flame war. It was, yeah. it was supposed to be an engagement between writers and readers. And it, it would sort of come to some mushy, comfortable, collaborative, you know, end. Uh, and that's just clearly not how comments have shaped out. I think I remember having this conversation with Matthew Ingram on Q of all places like years ago about how, how we're like we're gonna we're gonna fix it. And I know that there were like eight different people trying to solve this problem and maybe they just the will isn't there, maybe they didn't solve it well enough. I feel like if it takes extra work, like a social media solution always seems to take off when it makes things easier and when it's just sort of natural to integrate like all of the feedback that happens in conversation on Twitter, just some way to reflect that back into an article. I don't know, some kind of weird Storify article Twitter hybrid that makes new content, generates it dynamically. So it's not like you've got a permanent job of babysitting your own article after you've written it. Well, I, I think we can also just let people decide what they want to do. I, if, if people want to uh, trash you on Twitter, they can. And if they want to uh, just share it with their friends, they can. I just, I just don't think 2015 that comments – really have 
fulfilled the promise that they were sort of sold on. All right. Well, I'll be telling you my thoughts on tomorrow's edition of Star Touch via WhatsApp. You had to get a kick in at Star Touch. <laughs> in the in the in the chat room at Habo Hotel. I'll meet you there. Ottawa Children's Choir singing in Arabic to welcome the Syrian refugees to Canada. Ishmael, why are you going to harsh my buzz about this feel-good moment? What 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 could possibly? Well, I'm going to harsh your buzz because my buzz was was definitely harshed because uh, I saw the same thing. I saw the same thing everybody saw. There was this beautiful video of kids in Canada welcoming refugees, but that's just not how it happened. How did it happen? Well, I mean, it wasn't completely dissimilar, but. The way it spread was uh, a video on Facebook that people were sharing of these kids singing this Arabic song. Very important to many Muslims. It's about, you know, finding refuge and hope. And then it traveled from Facebook to YouTube, where it was suddenly labeled as Canadian kids welcome Syrian refugees. And then from there, it got picked up by international news outlets, The Independent in the UK. And it just went mad. And nobody wanted to look into it to see whether this was real, whether this was actually new uh, and, you know, hadn't happened 10 years ago. And I had to do some digging to find that, you know, in fact, it did happen in early December. It was an Ottawa Children's Choir, but it wasn't for refugees. It was just a Christmas concert. It, they were not welcoming the Syrian refugees to Canada. Well, I talked to the, uh, to the choir director. I managed to get a hold of him on the weekend, and I said, you know, hey, everybody's sharing this video. Did you do it to welcome refugees? And he said, no, he's been doing this for years. They always include different cultures, different religious backgrounds. This year they managed to include an Islamic song. But he, he said he wasn't even thinking about Syria. After you ruined Christmas, how did the public respond? You know what? I think people appreciate knowing, or some people do. You know, some people clearly wanted to just share the feel-good story because it, it speaks to Canadians' you know, sense of themselves as being— but, Okay, but what was the source? Like, So they were reporting based on—I could see somebody lost in translation, broken telephone, wishful thinking, you post it to YouTube or Facebook and say, oh, yeah, this is about the Syrian refugees. But that's what the newspaper headlines ran in major news organizations around the world, starting in Canada and then around the world. So they were their source was that, that whoever posted that to Facebook, that was their source? Well, it becomes sort of this weird self-fulfilling prophecy of like, this thing is going viral because this is what people think it is. And therefore, we're going to report on people think this is what's happening. And— you know, we ran a story on BuzzFeed Canada where I got confirmation from the school board and they said, oh, of course, you know, Syrian refugees are coming to Canada. They included the song in, in the concert because, you know, it just seemed uh, appropriate. So we ran a story saying the school board says this was for refugees. And then I managed to get a hold of the actual choir director who who put the whole thing together and he said, no, this sorry. Yeah. Like, I appreciate the sentiment and I think it's sweet that people interpret it that way, but that wasn't my intention. Didn't Trudeau pick up on it? Did he tweet about it? I think I think he did. You know, a lot of people did. I don't know if he attached the refugee label, but again, this really Canadians shared it because they said they felt it said something really nice about Canada's welcoming of refugees. And around the world, there's this narrative right now of Canada being really welcoming. Okay, I think that that's what what this is really about. I mean, this is all just sunny ways, right? And I could see like Trudeau trying to kind of like you know brand his brand with that brand of the song, like it's all of a piece, and it sort of fits into. This larger thing we're seeing now, which is that we want to kind of erase the last bunch of years. We want to feel like we're back, that Canada is rebranded and everything that we felt was great about us is once again true. And anybody who kind of like suggests otherwise, I feel is getting piled on. Glenn McGregor, in that when he took issue 
with Trudeau in vogue. And I don't agree with Glenn McGregor. Like, I think it's just kind of who cares sort of. But, but like that is – it's such a predictable dad opinion for somebody to say, oh, shouldn't he have better things to do than that? Mm-hmm. Like that is not a highly controversial opinion for Glenn McGregor to take. And people really piled on him. Like I, I feel like people don't want their buzz about Trudeau harshed. No, not at all. And, you know, I understand some of it because especially, you know, as a refugee myself who came to Canada, the change in tone and the, the actual commitment of taking 25,000 people, like that is significant and it's worthy of recognition. But there's clearly a PR machine uh, working here uh, and all those photos of Trudeau with uh, – with refugees welcoming them at the airport. I'm sure he does genuinely feel that he wants to do that, but he wouldn't be doing it if it also didn't help his image. And there is a newfound uh, vitriol online where if you criticize Trudeau or if you even question uh, the new government in the same way that they would have questioned the Harper government for the last decade, people, yeah, they don't want their buzz harshed at all. It's the same on the left as on the right. I'm telling you, like the, the, a lot of it sounds like the, the stuff that you'd hear from uh, those who would accuse uh, journalists of Harper derangement syndrome. It, it's just like a protect the king kind of like I'm not into it, man. I'm into credit where it's due. There have been some legislative. It's not like this new administration is without substance that they haven't done the things that they're saying they're going to do. They've done some of them. But I do not want to erase What's happened? I don't want to go back to some vision of Canada that was never really true. If we want to feel nice, warm, fuzzy things about ourselves, let's do nice, warm, fuzzy things and not rely on – like I, I want to stick a pin in the balloon anytime I see something that is overinflated, that, that, that if it's hype. If it's hype, we got to call it hype. Exactly. And there's a lot to you know digest with the new government. Clearly, Canadians aren't used to a you know glamorous or whatever internationally known prime minister – but that more than anything seems like reason to be really skeptical and to really be you know, digging into these things about how they're appearing in magazines and who's loaning them what jewelry. I think uh, in Glenn McGregor's case, he, he got called out for sort of bringing Sophie Gregoire Trudeau's eating disorder into you know, whether he should, she should be posing in a magazine. I think yeah, that, that was, was probably— an overstep. That, I, I feel like he just got defensive he, and, and then said somebody should enough. So. And you know, it started to sound a bit like concern trolling. But, yeah. but the general thrust of like keep holding people to account because they are the most important people in the country, that seems totally fair. Yeah. So take that, Ottawa Children's Choir. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Ishmael, thank you very much. That's your Candleland Shortcuts. It's been a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed listening. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Ishmael, where can people find you? Uh, I'm at BuzzFeed. Uh, just search for my name or just go to the homepage and I'm on Twitter as well. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of CanadaLand will be up on Monday. The next episode of CanadaLand Commons will be up on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get 
for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.